Welcome to Cathedral of the Rockies Amity Podcast. My name is Tyler, and I work here at Cathedral of the Rockies with Pastor Ben Kramer. However, Pastor Ben was off on vacation with family this past week. So today is a standalone sermon all about forgiveness, and it's by Ken Keen, who is a retired pastor that is also a member of our congregation. Ken will often fill in for Ben when needed um, on Sundays Ben is gone. So with that, I will say Pastor Ben will be back next week where we kick off our next Twisted Scripture series. We will be looking at various passages in the Old Testament that have been troubling to us as modern readers. Uh, Ben will attempt to shed some light on the text um, to kind of try and make sense of how these passages have either been used in a bad way or how we maybe can make better sense of them. So you won't want to miss that. Anyways, I hope you're having a good summer season and enjoy this sermon on the topic of forgiveness. one of the things I appreciate most about Cathedral of the Rockies is they give their pastors enough time off. It, Steve, you're, you're the man. It, it's, it's hard and it's a lot of work and pastors innately feel like I can never take a day off. They're afraid that if they're gone, somehow the spirit of God will be gone with them. I have learned over my a lot of years, God's spirit is bigger than mine. And God doesn't need me to show up anywhere for God to do God's work. So if we just sang another song and left, God's work would be done because God's people gathered. But I want to talk about forgiveness this morning, and I don't like forgiveness. It is the hardest thing I deal with in my Christian faith. I don't like it. I don't like it because it flies in the face of my sense of justice. Forgiveness has no room for justice. I wanted my brothers as a kid, I wanted them punished. And I wanted to help. (sighs) But with forgiveness, you don't get that. It unbalances my scales of what are right and what is wrong. When something's wrong, it's wrong, and I want to be able to tell you that. But forgiveness doesn't let us do that. Forgiveness says we're not going to play the game of power and control. We're going to let our foot up off somebody's neck. We're going to just... Step back a moment. And I am so glad that my parents believed in the principle of forgiveness when they were raising me. Otherwise, they would have locked me up by age five. They would have never let me out, and my siblings probably still would have been holding on to the key saying, not yet. Have you seen him? He's still not ready. I'm just saying, it's a family thing, but... For years, I asked my brother, I said, why don't you ever come when I preach? And he goes, I can't just sit there and watch you. 
And I go, why not? He goes, I'm just always wondering, when's evil Ken coming back? That's exactly what he said to me. I don't know what got into him, but, you know, I think it was jealous, just the thing. And I never forgave him for that. (laughs) Forgiveness doesn't allow me to punch somebody in the nose. Forgiveness requires oftentimes more of me than I have. In 1997... I did a funeral on March 27th, and the reason I know it is I wrote it down in my little book that I keep all my notes in. I wasn't going to say this, but I think it's important. Everybody at the funeral had left. I always wait. I always want to be the last guy just to make sure. One guy who I noticed, who when I read the passage, let not your heart be troubled, he sobbed. And when I stood there waiting to see what he would do, he finally approached me. And I said, hey, brother, what can I do for you? Are you okay? And he goes, that was my brother. I hadn't spoken to him in 40-odd years. And now what do I Forgiveness is a hard thing. It can be about power of control and control, but it doesn't need to be. It can be about all those things because I was offended. I have a right to be made whole, don't I? And we can hold out for that. But it doesn't get us anywhere because it puts us in its special prison. It puts us in a place that doesn't allow us to escape and we don't get to fully live our life if we hold on to those things. The story of the prodigal son is a great illustration of forgiveness and its complexity although it's not a story about that intentionally. It was a story about a lost son who had been dumb, came back, admitted he was stupid, and he was found. The passage ends with, he was lost and is now found. But the story has a lot to say that happens after the last verse that I think becomes the lesson in forgiveness and what happens next. The idea of what true forgiveness means, because forgiveness doesn't always mean what we think it means. So I'd like you to follow along with me as we watch the father change the social narrative on how you treat a son who has done wrong. In fact, two sons who have done wrong. So follow along with me. We're going to, I'll read it. You just follow along with me. And then I want to talk about this briefly for the next few moments. And then we'll conclude. Jesus continues, because this is the third story. The lost sheep, the lost coin, now the lost son. Found in the 15th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. There was a man who had two sons. 
The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything he had, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomachs with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, in the Greek, this is when the light bulb turns on. I mean, literally, the word is when the light bulb came on in his head. He said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And this is the line they didn't put in there. But the father wasn't listening. The father said to the servant, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine who was dead is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son who was in the field, when he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come home, he replied. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him and, answered, and he answered his father, Look, all these years I have slaved for you and have never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you've killed the fattened calf for him. My son, the father says, you're always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The older brother was furious. And when you read the account, I kind of get it. The younger brother was a jerk. I mean, he had no right to ask what he asked. The, younger, the older brother did what he was supposed to do. His scales of justice were off, and he wanted to punch his younger brother in the nose. 
He wanted his younger brother to be exactly what he asked for, a servant. Because I think he wanted to boss him around for a while. The older brother was angry. He was out of control. But the father came out to him and said, we've got to change the narrative here. This isn't about you. It's about your brother. He was lost, but he's found. Now it's our job as a family. Because what one person breaks, it usually takes the family to put back together. In ancient passages, I always try and ask myself when I read them, I go, where is me in the story? Well, my siblings would say, yeah, you are the younger brother. And I look at this and I go, yeah, that's been me a lot. I've been the jerk. I've been the idiot. I've done stupid things and I get that. And now that I'm as old as I am, I can say that and be quite transparent about it because I've learned a lot of lessons through that. And people go, did you ever tell your kids that stuff? I told my kids every possible story. Because I wanted them to hear it from me, number one. And I also wanted to share with them that, yeah, people can be jerks, even your dad. And there are things you've got to do to recover and make amends from that. But most often, I find that I'm the older brother. Because I don't have a lot of forgiveness in me. My sense of justice, I mean, I work for the police department. My sense of justice just seems to be like a rock around my neck. And in nine out of ten cases, it doesn't serve me. It doesn't serve anyone. Most often, it doesn't. The older brother showed the very worst side of himself and of me. His comment about this son of yours is what just kills me because I hear myself in those words. He's the one that had to listen to everyone in town while the brother was off. They would say, oh, heard about your little brother screwing up again. Heard about your little brother lost the fortune the older brother had to live with that in a culture where that wasn't permissible and the failure of the father became the failure of everyone who was left. He took it as a personal offense to himself and all he wanted to do was order that little brother around now as a servant. He wanted to take revenge, but revenge in itself is again another prison to put himself in. But here's the thing, and here's what we don't read in the passage, and this is the best part. And the father ran to the son. Everybody saw him and goes, there he is running after that failure son of his. In his culture, you don't run to your son. He pulled up his garment so he could run faster. Lavished all this stuff on him and welcomed him back. And then he ran back out to the son. You don't go back out to the other son and bring him in. The father went where he needed to be 
So both boys were in the field the next morning. The father went where he needed to be so that when the family got together in the field in the morning, they began working shoulder to shoulder like they always had. It wasn't saying what was done is forgiven and we won't think about it anymore because actions have consequences. I've been forgiven and yet still had to pay the fine to do the time, to fix the window that I busted out when I threw a rock to it. I forgive you, Ken, but you are going to work and mow lawns until you can repair and replace the window. Forgiveness is about taking the first step to reconciliation. Forgiveness, I think, is that first step that we take to say, okay, I still love you. I still want you back in my orbit, but I also know there are things we have to rebuild. Reconciliation is about taking obstacles and moving them out of the way, finding a way around them, over them, under them, or even sometimes through them. It's not ignoring the past, and I think that's where we have a hard time with forgiveness. People think forgiveness, gosh, if I forgive, I just got to just act as though nothing happened. We can't do that. That's not how we're created. I don't think God expects us to just wipe our memory. There are a lot of things I wish I could wipe my memory on. But God knows the process of reconciliation has to start somewhere. And if people know that there's an opportunity for forgiveness, it becomes the first step of how do we now move forward? The father had to get both boys into the celebration room so he could get both boys into the field. And it's working the plow together, doing things that used to be the right things and getting familiar with each other again and finding out what broke initially and how do we repair this break because we can't go back and undo history but we can't see our future and say how do we live so this doesn't happen again I think the words that aren't in this passage might be the most important part of this passage because it tells us that when it comes to human relationships, the story is never over. Even standing at the graveside, the story isn't over. The guy's name was Bruce. And I said, Bruce... If your brother was here, what would you tell him? You know, tears. He started to talk with a crack in his voice. Now I'm crying. And we sat there for half an hour. We literally sat there. We sat down. We didn't let them lower the casket. We sat down. For half an hour, he talked to his brother. Forgiveness is hard. And the first step always is. Forgiveness is hard. The first step is that foolish hope that maybe this could be better. 
the first step is that it's that both feet are in cement and I don't want to move step. The first step is the step that nobody wants to take. But it's a step that someone has to take if damage is ever going to be moved on from. Damage doesn't always get repaired. And all the damage I've done to my body, I've found the older I get, the more I am reminded of that broken leg, of that stupid surfing trip I took where I bungled things. Yeah, that ankle still hurts, I'm just saying. But we find a way to move on. And so reconciliation becomes the tool God has given us to say, here are the obstacles. How do now we get past it? Not, little brother, how do you remove it? How do we get past it? And here's some things I learned about forgiveness because if I don't learn these, I'll never take the first step, and we must for us to really understand, I think, the heart of God, because God's already taken that first step with us and many more. What I've learned is that it's not about me being right. If I have to be right, I'll never. I'll never ask, and I'll never give it. It's not about who speaks first. It's simply about somebody must speak. Somebody has to say a word. Actions are great, but man, it is the word that becomes life. It's the word that says, I still love you. I haven't found how I'm going to live with you yet. It's just a word. It's about taking one step. Doesn't mean forgetting everything, because if that's what we think it is, we'll never forgive. Forgiveness comes a long time before getting past everything that was done, everything that was damaged, everything that was broken. It's just a first step. It's just a first step. I tell the guys when I talk to them about marriage and saying you're sorry, I said, be the first one to say it. Always be the first. Even if, even if you're not right, wrong, always be the first one to say, hey, baby, I'm sorry. And they go, I'm not telling her I'm sorry. She's the one that drove through the garage door. I'm not saying I'm sorry about that. And I said, that's not the point. Forgiveness is about saying a word. Say this, say, I'm sorry we're in this place. Can we back up when we weren't in this place and things were okay and then look back into our self and say, how do we navigate around that? How do we get past this flare of emotion I suddenly threw out on everybody because of some small thing, how do we avoid that the next time so that we can make some agreements now to say, we'll not do that again, let's try this. 
a word, a simple word. And so here's your action steps. They're pretty simple, I think. But again, with me, forgiveness. You're asking a lot for a guy that looks at his neighbor and says, are you parked in my area? Is there somebody in your life that you know of that needs to hear the words, any word to restore, and not even like the word restore, to take the first step with again, to make a relationship begin again in a better way? Find that person. If there's something that you've been holding inside of you for a long time, forgive yourself. We all make mistakes. Find a way to say, wow, I can't believe I did that. Take a moment because God has already forgiven you. Take a moment, identify it, and forgive yourself. I've done that, and I've had to write to folks, say, hey, I just realized after all these years, I did this. Oh, my goodness, I was so wrong, and I am sorry that that may have damaged you. You shouldn't have been felt that, treated that way. And I'm sorry. I would like an opportunity to start that relationship over again. I've done that. Hardest thing. Those letters get written and sit with me for months because I don't want to send them, but I know they need to be. Find someone that needs that. And then everywhere you go, give people just a little bit of a break. It's what we call grace. Take a moment. And that's the only way we experience the foolishness of God's hope for us as humanity. Because we mess up in so many ways. Take one moment of TV and then turn it back off because already you've seen how much we've blown it. There's so many good things that can be done. There's so much hope available to us. Use the word, take the word, take the moment, and begin a new day, begin a new life by letting go of all of this and saying, I want to go forward and I want to do what I can to reconcile and then move forward. Let's, let's pray. It's a big ask sometimes for me, Heavenly Father, to take this path that I've just talked about. It's hard for a lot of us, but your hope helps us know we're never alone. You're always with us, and there are more of us with us because we gather in a place like this where we carry each other when one of us can't walk. We lift and we carry and we embrace when sometimes we're not able to because you've called us to a new kind of dynamic and the ability to rewrite the narratives of society with love and with compassion and with joy. So guide us and lead us in all of this, we pray in your name.
Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to, we'd very much appreciate it if you would subscribe to this podcast as well as rate and review it. Also, if you'd like to connect with us, you can email us at amity.campus at boisefumc.org. That email will be in the show notes. Finally, as a smaller congregation, our budget is pretty tight. If you'd like to help out and donate to us, there is a link to do so in the show notes. Of course, no pressure, only if you're feeling called to give. But more income does mean possibly more content and better quality of content, as well as supporting our current ministries and those we'd like to expand on. Thank you. I hope you have a wonderful rest of the day. Thank you.